Well, I'm sure they must have felt great pride and satisfaction. Uh-huh. And then you can imagine some of those workers, their children, yes. uh, end up playing on that stadium, I didn't even on, think the, of on that. that field. They, Absolutely. And as fans, you know, they're they're sitting in that stadium mm-hmm. watching their uh, their boys play on, on that field or going to track meets there. Yes. And so you'd like to think that they would have had some sense of the legacy yeah. that they had helped to create uh-huh. uh, even decades later. Absolutely. And, and that stadium, there still is a real strong sense of pride mm-hmm. in it. And if, if you were one of those guys who was working on oh. building that stadium, um, you would have to think about that anytime you saw the, that stadium. You heard that there. That is Mishawaka historian Pete DeKeever talking about the pride that those who were involved in building a Mishawaka landmark must have felt. More of that later, but first. Welcome to Round the Bend Now and Then, a podcast that shines a light on the South Bend and Mishawaka areas past and present. Through interviews with local business owners, leaders, and community members, our listeners and I learn together about all of the great people and great things going on in our community as we also learn about South Bend and Mishawaka's history and how intertwined our past is with our present. In this episode, our listeners and I learn all about how a mid-1930s Great Depression-era program that was created by President Roosevelt's administration to provide jobs to the unemployed was used to build a local high school football stadium that on Friday nights, 80-plus years later, still fills an entire residential neighborhood up with sounds of the school band playing, helmets and pads crashing into each other, and rabid Mishawaka cavemen fans cheering on their maroon and white. Mishawaka High School Steel Stadium is a prime historic example of exactly what the Great Depression era program titled Works Progress Administration, or WPA for short, intended. Now, I've attended multiple games at Steel Stadium, and the history nerd in me loves the old ambiance within. But I had no clue that the bleachers there were a part of the Great Depression-era WPA program. That alone provides so much more historical significance to the stadium, as it was built by local citizens, many at the lowest point in their lives, feeling the harsh effects of the Great Depression. In Mishawaka historian Pete DeKeever's book titled Hidden History of Mishawaka, there is a chapter within titled Mishawaka's Battleground, celebrating the 80th anniversary of Steel Stadium's WPA bleachers. With football season on the horizon and the passion that I know the Mishawaka fans display, I knew that I wanted to share this story. In this episode, I meet with Pete and we learn all about why Mishawaka High School Steel Stadium is so beloved by, literally, generations of students, former players, and Mishawaka residents. If you recall, I met with Pete earlier and produced an episode highlighting the Mishawaka Historical Museum. Pete, his father Joe DeKeever, and another man named Don Herman were the driving forces behind the museum. His father and Don have since passed away, but Pete is still the curator and president of the museum. And again, folks, I can't recommend that you visit enough. It's organized, clean, bright, inexpensive, and in a few hours, you'll learn a lot more about Mishawaka's history. It's located at 121 South Main Street, about a block off of Lincoln Way. So stay tuned and hear why historic Mishawaka High School Steel Stadium is much more than simply bricks, mortar, a track, and a football field. Next, I asked Pete to provide our listeners with a little background about himself. And I'm going to tell you that Pete is a walking Mishawaka encyclopedia. His knowledge, his passion, and his love for Mishawaka is second to none. Just start by a brief introduction. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. I'm Pete DeKeever, mm-hmm. and I'm a lifelong Mishawaka resident, born uh-huh. and bred. And uh, I uh, currently am uh, the president and curator of the Mishawaka Historical Museum. Mm-hmm. I've also been an author on all different sorts of Mishawaka subjects mm-hmm. over the past 25 years. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, so it's certainly my, it's my mission to try to share and build an understanding and appreciation of Mishawaka's history and all different sorts of topics yes. uh, with our citizens uh-huh. and anybody else who just enjoys history. Next, I ask Pete about his book in general, The Hidden History of Mishawaka, and he shares that he actually had written numerous articles previously and a publishing company reached out and wanted him to provide them with a collection of them to be published in a book. Um, So you'd mentioned you'd written several books that celebrates Mishawaka's history. Uh, One of them is a collection of about 10 different stories called The Hidden History of Mishawaka. And uh, each chapter provides uh, a different story behind a different moment or place in Mishawaka's history. Uh, Just talk to me a little bit about how you selected the stories to share in it. And um, just were they stories that you felt people weren't familiar with or, or just what? That generally has been the, the kind of longer essays that I write okay. rather than uh, just kind of repeating a topic that right. has been written about many times. Mm-hmm. I try to find those topics that maybe I don't think people are aware of or people mm-hmm. have forgotten about. Maybe once they were prominent, but they sort of faded into the past. Mm-hmm. And through different means, I find out about these different subjects, uh, things that really compel or interest me about them, and then they eventually become the longer kinds of essays that are in this book. Okay. And um, all of these uh, articles had been published originally in the Mishawaka Enterprise. I see. And uh, actually, the folks at uh, the History Press uh-huh. in South Carolina, they mm-hmm. had contacted me back in the spring of 2020, okay, saying that they, they wanted somebody to do a book on Mishawaka. Really? So I, I did not reach out to them. They reached out to me. Huh. And uh, they had different kinds of um, titles or types of books that they do. Some yeah. of their books have lots of pictures okay. and, and the captions for them. But the Hidden History series, uh-huh. it's not as focused on photographs. It's more about text. I got you. And so I sent them about 20 different stories that I had written, or at least a summary of of those stories, uh, all the same kind of thing of different essays on Mishawaka history. And then I let them pick the 10 that they were most interested in. Really? And then they told me, keep it to around 50,000 words Uh for the entire book. That's generally what they do with this series of hidden history. To keep it consistent. Right. Uh And so I, I did some trimming and some editing, but... Um, you know, didn't have to compromise really the content, just shorten it up a little bit. And uh, so that is how the uh, essays came to be in the book. It was really the choice of the editor I see. at, um, at uh, the History Press okay. based on the uh, essays that I had sent them. I see. And they're, and they're making this decision from not Mishawaka. Like they, some of them probably never even been right. there, huh? Yeah, I'm sure they haven't been here. And so they're almost objectively selecting 10 stories that they feel might resonate. Right. Huh. Okay. <laughs> and then do you submit those pictures with it? Yes. Yeah. I see. They they suggested about 50 to 60 pictures uh-huh. uh, for the book. Okay. And um, you know, most of the ones that I sent, we ended up using. Um, they didn't really have any uh, direction in terms of content. It's right. just more so space. But right. I was right. pleased with the uh, the choice of photos that they ultimately included in the book. Yeah, they the uh, the photos give a little little visual of, of mm-hmm. what the readers are reading about. And when when you read through the book, there it's also a connection to the Mishawaka Historical Museum. Oh yes, <laughs> literally, yeah, because many of these topics now are represented in uh-huh. the Mishawaka Historical Museum. When the book came out two years ago, we were still in the planning stage. Right. But uh, yeah, anybody who visits the museum and has read uh, the kinds of articles that I put in the Enterprise or in the books that I published, you know, they can see like right. the three-dimensional representation mm-hmm. of, uh, of of these topics right. that I've written about. Right. Yeah. It. Uh, w- when I was reading through the book, it just instantly and it actually helps you comprehend it a little better just from going to the museum seeing it reading about it just seeing those connections that is definitely true there after reading this book head to the museum to see some real life exhibits that are also mentioned in the book next we start to talk about mishawaka football and how passionate the steel stadium fans are and how aware they are of the history and traditions But I do want to spend some time talking about Chapter 6, 
Mishawaka's Battleground, <laughs> celebrating the 80th anniversary of Steel Stadium's WPA bleachers. Now, I'm going to tell you, I attended three to four games at Steel Stadium this year, and that was the most that I had ever in a year. I'm an Adams guy. Uh, Adams played there, right. and I went there to watch the Adams game, but then my... Uh, my brother and her and, and his fiance are involved involved there too, so I went and sat with them. I'm gonna tell you, that place is hype. That the fans at at Steel, <laughs> I mean the fans at Steel Stadium, they 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 take it very seriously. It's a great place to watch a football game, and especially because Mishawaka, you know, is is quite good and has yeah. been for many years now, like 15 straight winning seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, you're seeing a quality product mm-hmm. on the field today, but also I think part of what attracts people to going to that stadium is they have some sense of the history yeah. that has occurred there over the past mm-hmm. 80 plus years. Right. Yeah. And how can you not? Right. Before we dive into the story behind the WPA bleachers at Steel Stadium, we spend a few minutes talking about the WPA program in general. I feel that it's important for our listeners to understand the times. Our country had faced the largest financial collapse in its history, and millions were out of work. So programs like the WPA helped get people back to work, and at the same time, helped create better cities for them to live in. The chapter title is Steel Stadium's WPA Bleachers. Uh, WPA stands for Works Progress Administration. And before we dive into the stadium, let's just talk a little bit about WPA. And um, and just and I guarantee you that South Bend, Mishawaka residents drive past some something that is connected to the WPA every single day. Pretty much. So yeah. first, let's just talk about in general, to the layman's term, what is WPA? Uh, Well, the WPA, Works Progress Administration, was a federal uh, program under the New Deal, uh, second New Deal uh, from uh, Franklin Roosevelt. Mm -hmm. And it was uh, basically a jobs program that uh, was made available for unemployed workers during the Great Depression. Mm -hmm. And the federal government funded the labor costs of these projects, Mm -hmm. which would mean the majority of the costs. Right. And then local entities like... Uh, let's say Mishawaka Parks Department mm-hmm. or the School City of Mishawaka, they would be responsible for funding most of the materials. I see. And so the federal government, they wanted to employ people mm-hmm. to get money into the economy, to mm-hmm. prime the pump, mm-hmm. to uh, to bring about an economic recovery. Mm-hmm. And so here in Mishawaka and in South Bend, but I know especially in Mishawaka, um, City of Mishawaka had all kinds of projects that were uh, partnerships with the WPA. We worked with right. some other New Deal agencies okay. as well, but we seem to remember uh, the WPA, the WPA yeah. most. And that's the truth. I bet many of our listeners who live in the area drive or walk past a WPA era project quite regularly. Next, we share some of the different projects that are still in the Mishawaka area. Let's name some WPA projects around Mishawaka, like Eberhardt Golf Course, right? Yes. Monkey um, Island area. Right. Um, you know, they did those like stone retaining walls yeah. um, and there were other um, like drainage kinds of developments that they did uh-huh. today as the golf course. Yep. Um, they did street and sewer work. You know, we don't necessarily yeah, you would. notice those things. Right. Uh, I think of a, there's a storage building on Virgil Street that okay. has a big WPA plaque on the side of it. Uh-huh. Uh, they put an addition on to the Carnegie Library, the public library building in oh, 1937. Cur- currently the, the Jesus. Right. Yeah. Right. So uh-huh. that, that east really that, like sticks out. That yeah. was WPA. Wow. They also... Uh, I mean, they did a number of projects in the parks. Yep. Battelle Park is probably the most spectacular Absolutely. example. The rock garden mm-hmm. here in Battelle Park that uh, used a lot of stone and concrete yep. to kind of solidify and, and uh, beautify Absolutely. Uh, a natural uh, ravine uh-huh. uh, there leading into the river. Uh, they even did things like um, cataloging some of the uh, the holdings at the Mishawaka Public Library. Um, 
They're, okay. So not all like blue collar construction type, right, even right. that type of work. Some of it, you know, they were just trying wow. to employ people Absolutely. doing all different sorts of things. And then, you know, there were similar uh, New Deal uh, programs mm -hmm. uh, with different names that were also basically focused on employing people. These weren't really full-time jobs. Mm -hmm. So it would maybe be for a matter of a few months, um, certain you know, 20 hours a week or right, something like right, that. Right. Um, but it would, it would help to get money in the hands Absolutely. of unemployed workers and their families with the hope that they would then spend that money, mm -hmm. which would help to employ other people in the community. Next, we wrap up our talk about the WPA in general, and I ask him about how much of an impact on a community like Mishawaka's morale programs like this had. And not just the practicality of earning money and, and supporting your family, but also the uh, what's the morale. Right. That know? was a big part of it. Um, uh, and I know at the federal level, that was very specifically part of the thinking. Okay. Uh, behind these various New Deal programs, uh -huh. um, there was a lot of hopelessness. Yeah. Particularly around the worst year of the Great Depression was about 1932. And there was the sense that nothing was being done. Uh -huh. There was a hopeless and uh, despair kind of mentality. And then the New Deal comes along and some of these programs didn't work. Right. And Franklin Roosevelt would have admitted that. Some of them didn't mm -hmm. continue much past the first year or two. Uh, others, they did work, but mm -hmm. they were they were trying something. Absolutely. They were willing to, the federal mm -hmm. government was willing to spend this money, come up with these programs to, to give people uh, not only something specific and productive to do that would enhance the infrastructure mm -hmm. and livability of communities, especially they like to do parks, yeah. and athletic kinds of infrastructure, but they also wanted people to feel like things were getting better. Absolutely. That there was a light at the end Absolutely. of the tunnel, uh, even though, you know, really the depression was still, um, you know, it was pretty bad through about 1937. Uh -huh. So the New Deal alone, you know, historians will argue, but yeah. the New Deal alone certainly did not pull us out of the Great Depression. Mm -hmm. The ultimate New Deal program was World War II. Ah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. Yep. But things did get better. Uh-huh. And then there were some ups and downs. Uh, it was kind of a downturn in the economy around 1937. Okay. But uh, the New Deal uh, was, was helpful by and large. And certainly the WPA, maybe its greatest benefit was the legacy of all of these different Absolutely. projects. Uh, brick and mortar, stone, yeah. stone and mortar projects that if they have been maintained, they are probably still around and will be here probably yeah. another hundred years or more. That's the truth there. The WPA's greatest legacies are still around in our parks. Next, we talk about the sheer number of people in Mishawaka alone that were tapped to work jobs as a part of the WPA program. And as you'll hear, in many cases, the WPA changed people's trajectories and taught them skills that they used throughout their careers. I found a 1935 article about Mishawaka's WPA. That article, it was, it was neat to read because it, it, the title was 30 Public Works Jobs to Put 1,200 to Work. And it listed some of the projects that you just talked about before it was even mm -hmm. done. It listed the the Battelle Rock Garden, and, and it did list the Steel Stadium project, potent, you know, eventually. But it was cool to to read about these projects before they even even right. happened, you know, things and, that are still with us. Yeah, yeah. twelve hundred Mishawakans. I mean, that's well. Think about how many people must have been unemployed. You know, nationally, it was about twenty five percent unemployment at the mm -hmm. worst of the Great Depression. And maybe in a place like Mishawaka with all those industrial yes. jobs, I don't know if it was higher than that, mm -hmm. but I don't think it would have been much lower. Uh -uh. And so, you know, there are lots of people who needed jobs who yeah. would have been very happy to get even part-time work mm -hmm. for a few months uh, doing manual labor. Yeah. Uh, and in some cases, you know, they were using skills they already had, uh -huh. but using them because they didn't didn't have a job anymore in right. which to use those skills or they were learning skills 
on these WPA projects and then perhaps applying those in the private sector right. when they did get a job. So it was almost almost like a post second like a like a schooling almost for job a lot training. of the guys. Yeah, job training. Job training. Again, I felt it was necessary to provide a solid background of the times during the Great Depression with millions out of work across the country. So our listeners get a sense that the building of Mishawaka High School's football bleachers by Mishawaka citizens was more than just a normal construction project. Next, we dive into the actual project, starting with the state of the football program in the 1920s and 30s. And as you can guess, they were already a juggernaut, sparking them to improve the football stadium. As you'll hear, the first 10 years or so, they played at the current side of Steel Stadium. They just had some old wooden bleachers and not the grand cement ones that we're used to. And you'll also find out there were no Friday night lights until 1937. Little background, um, they moved to the new height Mishawaka High School in 1924. And they started playing football in 1926. And under head coach Frank Steele, they were a juggernaut. Yes, they were. Uh, and um, about about 10 years into their their uh, domination of the area, um, the school administration wanted to improve the football area. And, and what, what what's one thing they decided to do? Well, in 1937, they put in lights. Okay. Uh, and so that's part of the evolution. That's right. They of, played on Saturdays. That's right. 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 Uh-huh. It was... There were no Friday night lights, yeah. you know, until 1937. Yeah. <laughs> it was Saturday afternoon daylight. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, the uh, Mishawaka has been playing on that field uh, since 1926. Okay, uh, and so there was a period of time in the 1924. They're they're at that building. They're mm-hmm. using that building in the fall of 1924, mm-hmm. uh, but they are not yet playing their games. Okay. There. It's important for people to understand that, yes, we've been in that building since 1924, but football does not Uh start on that site until two years later. Uh And so from 1926 through, I guess, right before 1937, they are playing football games on Saturday afternoon, like other schools are, because it's right around 1937 that lights for athletic fields um, become popular nationwide. We see it in Major League Baseball Mm -hmm. around that time period. So it's a big deal when Mishawaka gets uh, lights for what was then just called Mishawaka High School Stadium Mm -hmm. or School School Field. Field, Right, so School Field in South Bend, Uh we, we associate that name with that facility, but the reality is that that was kind of yeah, a generic, a generic term. name. Mishawaka had its uh-huh. school field uh, as well. So Coach Frank Steele had his boys playing tough in the 20s and 30s, leading to improvements like lighting. But school and city leaders wanted more for their popular football team. So they applied for a WPA construction project that would not only build the best and largest high school football stadium in the area, but would also help out by putting many Mishawaka families to work, and actually, many Mishawaka graduates themselves. And then um, soon after that, they decided to request the WPA project, right? To build cement, (laughs) concrete, permanent bleachers. Right, what really is the, the largest WPA project in the city of Mishawaka. Ultimately, it's it's approved by yeah. the federal government. Uh, they go through some um, negotiating and revision in terms of, of their who, initial plans. Who's, or, uh, to who's some, paying what? To some extent, yes, the initial plans. Um, initially, they had talked about having some classroom uh-huh. space in the in the uh, concrete bleachers. And so, for those of you who couldn't see, we, we had the <laughs> quotes and the air quotes for the classrooms, <laughs> because what they found out was that. Uh, for a facility that was primarily athletic, okay, um, the school corporation was not allowed to um, like issue bonds for that. Yeah, and so once the the lawyers for the bond issuing uh-huh. company said, you know, you really can't do this, um, they had to kind of go back and figure things out. And so they did slightly revise the project, and then they were able to like move some accounts around. Yeah, uh huh. <laughs> you know, they, they got creative. They, they found a way. Yeah, um, and because you know it's. It's football. Yeah. It's Mishawaka High School football. 
course. And even in the 30s. Hype. <laughs> and, and so um, they do get uh, the federal government and the Works Progress Administration uh, to approve uh, initially the construction of the West bleachers. Yep, the home side. And the way I've, I, I've seen it referred to in the articles, Franklin Roosevelt himself signed off on it. Yeah. So I don't know, like, if he was just signing a whole stack, a whole stack of things uh, to approve it, or if he was thinking, hmm, okay, Mishawaka, yeah, yeah, fine, we'll give them a football stadium. <laughs> I like the cavemen. Uh, I like the maroons. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, the uh, the West Bleachers uh, they are built in 1938, mm-hmm. and then the East Bleachers along Gernhart, mm-hmm. they are built in 1939, and. Together, both sets of bleachers are ready for the first game in September of 1939. Yeah, their initial plans, um, I mean, 4,000 seats, classrooms, locker rooms, an office, showers, heating and plumbing in a press box. But most of those actually are there now. I mean, still. Except for the classrooms. Except for the classrooms, yeah. And um, I mean, that's pretty... It's pretty cool, right? You it's, know, it's stood the test of time, uh-huh. and um, you know, it's it's still the finest uh, high school football stadium in the area. Pete mentioned his opinion of it being the best high school football stadium in the area. Next, you'll hear that a lot of money was invested at the time to make it the best around, and not only that, the money was invested locally and injected well-needed money into the local economy which was one of the main objectives of the WPA program. Then the the original cost would have been $80,000, ended up being 60, but when you look up $80,000 from 1938 until now, 1.6 million. That's not <laughs> yeah. a small that is not a small chunk of right. change for a school. Right. And so while you might hear oh $80,000 that's not too big of a project, oh, oh one and a half million dollar project, and then you add the East Bleachers to that, you're two and a half million dollars. I mean, that's a big deal. Right. And that money, uh, you mentioned at the beginning, can go back into the local economy. And in the book, I mean, you even written, you even wrote um, that uh, some of these you know, things helped out the local economy. So what are some ways that you think that it would do that? Well, the uh, certainly the employees who yep. are working on the construction, you know, they're getting wages and they're spending that in the community. Mm-hmm. But then the various subcontractors, yes. like the plumbing contractor, these mm-hmm. are are very skilled laborers. Yes, uh, where they're not just taking unemployed factory workers right. to do these jobs. So, you know, the electrician who's wiring the locker rooms, mm-hmm. the plumber, um, even. Uh, the seats, uh, Cor- I want to say it was Corlett Lumber. They were oh, involved. Okay. They they purchased California Redwood uh-huh. for the wooden seats. And those of us who are old enough, we remember the wooden seats. They really? were still there yeah. through into the 1980s when they replaced oh. them with uh, the aluminum yeah. seats that are that are currently there. But that's a lot of board feet of, yeah, of, of Redwood uh-huh. uh, to purchase. They had to buy special like angled brackets for the seats, the wooden boards yeah. to be placed on. Uh, so, you know, all the all these things, mm-hmm. um, and even some of the supplies, you know, they had to buy from local sources. Yeah. So it was certainly a, a major boon for the mm-hmm. local economy to have this project uh, being carried out right. uh, in Mishawaka. And, and you mentioned that it was the actual, the cost of materials that was that were spent locally in Mishawaka. Thirty nine thousand dollars, and again, you think, oh, thirty nine grand, you know, in this day and age, man, that was like eight hundred thousand dollars today. That all pumped into the local economy, Mm -hmm. and 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 that is the intent, you know. And two hundred men were needed for several months. Next time you're at Steel Stadium, you'll notice that the two bleachers on either side of the football field are not the same. And one of the things I kind of learned, I guess I didn't realize before in writing this was that the east and west sides, they're not symmetrical. They're not the same. Uh-huh. Um, the, uh, the west side bleachers, they're, they only run like 
I think from the from goal line to goal line. They're right. 100 yards long. They are four rows higher okay. than the east bleachers. The east bleachers basically run from the back of the end zone to the back of the end zone. Uh-huh. Again, not as tall. Because um, there's a city street right there. Right. Yeah, they, there's, <laughs> there, there are Literally. limits to what they can do because they you had to have room for the track. Uh-huh. There's the field, the track, the bleachers. And the back of the bleachers, you're on the sidewalk. Literally. Along Gernhardt. Uh-huh. And so um, there are also, uh, is a different number of sections. Okay. Um, the west bleachers, there are six sections. Uh-huh. And they were built in sections. Okay. Um, they started actually on the north end mm-hmm. of the bleachers, so close to Linden Avenue. Mm-hmm. And then they would you know, pour the concrete uh, for a section then go on and do the next section. So uh, in 1938, the bleachers are like moving or yeah. growing uh-huh. uh, from north to south uh, toward the high school building. Right, right. And then on the the east bleachers, so the, the west bleachers have six sections. Mm-hmm. The east bleachers have eight sections. So they were, they were poured right. in that way. And to this day, um, the sections, you know, they had to be, numbered yeah. uh, for um, you know when when covid was occurring yeah and so I, I think people never realized there were eight there were 14 sections yeah. to steel stadium and it's not 7 7 right <laughs> 6 it's, and 8 right yeah. 6 and 8 and so um, you know there is that difference in terms of how the east and west bleachers look yeah next Pete shares that the total cost of the east and west bleachers was $130,000 in the late 1930s That is about $2.8 million today. And as he shares, that was money well spent because the stadium has withstood the test of time. Then I think the the entire project, both sides together, was $130,000. Okay, okay. Um, Yeah, that's $130,000 now. I mean, that's a lot of money. Right. Especially $130,000 during the Great Depression. Sure. I mean, that's amazing. That's a ton of money. Mm Mm-hmm. Goodness. For really well-built bleachers. Yeah. Uh, if you've walked around underneath uh-huh. those bleachers, uh, in addition to sitting on them, I mean, it's concrete with rebar in it, the reinforced concrete. And where there's not concrete, there is some brick. Like yeah. on the sides. Today, it's all been painted right. a uniform color. But uh, the upper part of the sides uh-huh. on the back uh, of both the east and west bleachers, if you look closely, They're it is brick. brick. Okay, but um, you know everything surrounding it is concrete, and what you're walking on is concrete. Uh-huh. And then when you look, you know, underneath the stadium, like if you're going to a concession stand, again, you can see all the concrete uh-huh. up above. And uh, of course, it's been well maintained over the yeah. years. They they've sealed the concrete on probably more than one occasion. Mm-hmm. And uh, with Steel Stadium. It never went through a period of decline like School Field did. Yeah. It's unfortunate yep. that the WPA North Bleachers Gone. at School Field, they were deteriorating. I remember like in the 1980s, mm-hmm. parts of it were sectioned off where you weren't allowed to sit. Mm-hmm. And that facility was allowed to go. Just to go. And it's been replaced with just regular old open bleachers. Yeah. And, you know, there was a great facility that was partly lost. Mm-hmm. And with Mishawaka, we were fortunate that neither east or west sides right. was ever allowed to deteriorate. Right. Yeah. He mentioned South Bend School Field there and how the bleachers on the north side just weren't maintained. He also mentioned School Field in his book and how there was somewhat of an arms race between South Bend and Mishawaka. Also in the book, you mentioned an arms race oh, between yeah. South Bend and Mishawaka. Yeah. What's that about? Well, you know, throughout that article, <laughs> I I put it in a lot of things yeah. into military terms from mm-hmm. the very title of it all the way through some of the other things I talk about later on. Just keep in mind, this is 1939 when that stadium opens. And the very week that... Um, we're getting ready for the first mm-hmm. game there is the week that the Germans invade Poland. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was an arms race of sorts going on here locally between Mishawaka uh, and and South Bend. Mm-hmm. Uh, South Bend, 
they are developing, they're expanding school field mm -hmm. at that time. And the WPA is involved in that. Uh, the WPA, they built uh, what would be the North Concrete Bleachers uh -huh. at School Field. And the West Bleachers that you see today, those were built later. Uh -huh. So that's not WPA. But um, uh, South Bend is certainly working to upgrade its right. facility, expand the, the size of it. And they knew that Mishawaka was interested uh -huh. in doing the same thing. Yeah. And so there, there was a, a facilities race, uh -huh. an arms race between Mishawaka and South Bend. Neither side wanted to be seen as deficient right. in their facilities mm -hmm. um, because, you know, that yeah, rivalry between Mishawaka and uh, South Bend Central in particular mm -hmm. was so important. It was just, a, it was a matter of pride that our yeah. facility had to be better than your facility, uh -huh. so, so to speak. <laughs> Next, Pete talks about what the stadium was like when it was finished, the finest in the Midwest. Let's talk about when the, the, the project was done and it was touted as one of the, the finest football stadiums in the Midwest. Yes. Yes, it was. Yeah, that's how it was built from the start, even when they were planning it and, and preparing to do the construction. They had that vision. Yeah, they yep. knew they knew what it would be like. They knew uh -huh. what other facilities were like. Yeah, in a couple of different articles, I saw reference to uh, the fact that it was going to be one of the, the finest high school football mm -hmm. stadiums in the Midwest or in the, in the state of Indiana, certainly. Yep. And uh, so you can imagine people were in awe. Oh, I'm sure. Because they had sat in these bleachers for, you know, for 13 decade, years. Yeah. Um, and, you know, this was just a huge leap yes. beyond what they had been used to. Then the uh, seats 8,000. I mean, or it, I mean, if it has to still must see 8,000 mm -hmm. at the time. That's a lot of high school. Yes. That's a lot. Right. That's, I think Four Winds Field doesn't seat. 8,000 people. Right. It, it does not. Yeah. And there are, there's about 4,200 seats on the west side, 3,800 seats on the east side. Think of that. 8,000 seats for high school football in the late 1930s. Next, Pete shares about everything that went into the dedication game to celebrate Mishawaka High School's new football stadium. Talk to me about the, the dedication game now, that game was not the first game of the season. Right. We, we talked about that earlier. The dedication game was actually the last, the last game of the season. Right, the last game, the last, which was also obviously the last home game. Uh -huh. uh, it was November 10th against Riley. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I'm not sure why they chose to schedule it for that. Maybe they weren't sure they were sure, going to be done all the way. Or, opponent, but yeah. Anyway, it was the last game of the season mm -hmm. against Riley. And uh, they had uh, they they made a big deal out of it. At the museum, we have a, a copy of the dedication program from oh, okay. that, and it was like this like velvet covered booklet. With, yeah, um, beautiful uh, two page spread of an aerial photograph of the stadium. Um, and then they you have it there now uh, at the museum. Okay, yes, we do. Yeah, and then um, they you know they had comments from the school board president. Uh -huh. um, they read a letter from Arthur Trester, who was in charge of the IHSAA. Uh, they had people from the like the, the construction design right. company uh, that spoke. Um, at halftime, I know they um, the marching band for both Mishawaka and Riley, uh -huh. they, they each performed their routines. And uh, there's a great description in one of the articles that talks about how they turned off the lights. Okay. And each band member had a little light on the top of their hat. Okay. And they performed routines, you know, their marching band routines mm -hmm. in the dark. And you could see all these little lights moving around. And they had fireworks. That's what also. I was going to say. I read that too. They had fireworks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they also invited back um, past letter winners going okay. back. Um, they mentioned even 1898, like the very beginning of Mishawaka High School. Lower. Yeah, yeah, 150 uh, former football letter winners. Um, they that night? That night. They paraded them. They met inside the high school building. They paraded them to like a, they had a, a section of the West Bleachers set aside for them. 
And so there was that aspect. They had already kind of a, a nod to the history of the program. Yeah. And so, I mean, they just did everything they could think of. 150 former players. Four, 150 former players. And it's not like <laughs> gathering up 150 former high school football players is not like today where I can literally probably Google and find out where half the people right. live, get on Facebook and search. Heck, half the guys may not even have phone numbers. Who knows? I mean, like they had to probably mail all that. Wow, right? That, that's quite the undertaking, right? And so that's uh, crazy. You know, all those things together made for a, a, a very a impressive grand. evening. Yeah. Um, and you know, I would think anybody who was there that night mm-hmm. would always remember that they were there to see yeah. the dedication of that stadium. Uh-huh. The team itself, they had their moments that season. They finished four, five, and one. Uh-huh. Um, it was not one of the great Mishawaka football teams, but the real star of that season was the stadium. Well, as you can guess, young men coming out of high school at that time were faced with something that most of us have no clue about, war, specifically World War II. In Pete's chapter, he talks in detail about the connections between that football team and the war. We talk about that next. Uh, and it was about at that time in the book and also in um, about that year is when you mentioned w- World War II. And um, the connections between that certain class, 1939, the, the, gen- the gentleman and, and, and the war. You just want to talk to me just in general about just the connections between that and this was one of the things that I found very compelling in, in writing the story. Yeah. It was interesting to talk about the origin of this Mishawaka landmark, uh-huh. uh, and certainly part of the essay is about that. But I knew that that the guys on this team, I was aware that some of them, you know, even before I started the research, right. that they had gone into the military. Mm-hmm. And, and then as I was doing the research, I was learning more and more about well, what happened to these guys. So right. I went through the entire roster uh-huh. and tried to find them through cemetery records, through Uh ancestry.com, obituaries, to see if they went into the military, um, which of them died, et cetera. And uh, at least for the the Mishawaka players, and this probably would have been comparable for the other teams as well, Mm -hmm. um, you know, there there were more than 30 who went into the military. Um, all different branches. They mm-hmm. did some very interesting things. Um, and we could talk some more about some of the particular individuals, but three men from, three of the boys from Mishawaka who were on the field mm-hmm. and played in, on that team in 1939, they were killed yeah. in World War II. Um, there would have been others who were wounded, mm-hmm. saw all different sorts yeah. of things. Um, yeah. Some of them fought in Battle of the Bulge. Some were in, in the Navy. One man worked at um, Los Alamos in the atomic bomb project. Wow. So, I mean, they just went into all different areas of, of military endeavor. And the point I li- really like to make in the article is that um, for Franklin Roosevelt, he had no way of knowing no. that he was helping to fund military preparedness mm-hmm. when the stadium was built. That's not something they were thinking about in no. 1938. Right. Uh, or even, you know, by the time everything has been finished in 1939, only then are we starting to think, hey, here's a war we might get pulled into. Yeah. The war hadn't started in Europe. Um, and so what really is also part of the legacy of that stadium mm-hmm. is that it helped promote athletics, mm-hmm. physical fitness, mm-hmm. and it helped prepare these young men for the boot camp, the combat, the military service that they would be seeing a a few years later. And uh, so it really fits the idea of the battleground, um, Mishawaka's battleground. Uh, And at one point in the article, I talk about how uh, these players, within a few years, they would be trading in their leather football helmets Mm -hmm. for metal helmets, yeah. military helmets, their cleats, they'd be trading in for boots combat and, boots. Yeah. I don't know, you know to what extent they were yet thinking of that, right. um, but certainly in retrospect, we see very clearly that yeah. this stadium, that season, yeah. the football team was helping to prepare these young men for the <laughs> physical rigors 
and, and other aspects yeah. of, of combat. That's just wild. I mean, and then, you know, in the book, when folks read the book, you do mention names and everything and details about these people, about the, the, the young men, young men, boys. That is insane. Trading their cleats for combat boots and their leather helmets for metal helmets. We are forever grateful to those young men who fought and many died on our behalf. Next, Pete wanted to point out that Steel Stadium has housed more successful football teams than just the Mishawaka Cavemen. And I should also point out that it is not just Mishawaka High School that has some history. Oh, that's right, Marion, Marion. High School, yeah. Yeah, um, you know, in the early years of Marion football, uh -huh. when they were one of the great powers in the state of Indiana, even apart from the class system, yes. when the state tournament starts in 1973, Marion is single A, later they moved up to double A. Okay. Um, but prior to the state tournament format starting, uh, Marion was, was one of the top teams in the okay. state. And you just look at the state polls, like in the late 60s, okay. early 70s, um, Marion was as good as even the best of the, the big schools. And uh, in the same single class poll, Correct. they were you know, one of the top teams in the state. Uh, but in, uh, I want to say it was 1976, uh -huh. well, even let's say 1973, their semifinal game, there were there was two rounds to the state playoffs, okay. and Marion was single A in 73. Mm -hmm. They defeated Woodland uh, in the semifinal game, uh -huh. the first game of the playoffs. That got them into the state championship game against Clarksville Providence. And so that game against Woodland was played at what then was called Tupper Field. Right. Now it's <clears throat> Steel Stadium. Mm -hmm. We can talk about yep. uh, that name change. But so Marion played their home games at, at Tupper Field. And so their first step toward winning their first state championship was occurred there, there uh, at Tupper Field. And then in 1976, uh, as a double A team, they won the state championship against Jasper uh -huh. at Tupper Field. Really? So, I mean, that's yep. that's sacred ground for Marion. Yeah, High that's true. Fans. Yeah. Uh huh. And then a few years later, they opened um, a Tulsa field. field. Is that what it is now? Right, right. Yeah, I didn't know that until I read your book that Marion used to play there too. Yeah. yeah. That's that's wild so, too. So you know, it's just a a great mark of distinction yes. for the history of that facility that. Some of the earliest playoff games, one of them was held there. And among the early state championship games, one of them was held there in Mishawaka. Being 80 years old, of course there have been numerous changes over the years to the stadium, including a name change. We talk about that next. Uh, and matter of fact, my literal next question was going to be, and over the years, the football stadium has experienced some changes. Yes. What are yes. some of those changes? Yeah, you know, it was pretty much um, consistent or the same from 1939 until uh, 1980. And I can't think of really any major changes other mm -hmm. than at some point they did remove bleachers that were in the end zone. Mm -hmm. I remember sitting on uh, those end zone bleachers uh, for a 1977 playoff game okay. against Washington. And shortly after that, they were gone. Uh, but then in 1980, there were some major changes mm -hmm. that were made. Uh, there was an all-weather track that okay. was put in. Used to be um, Cinder. Right. Okay. Cinder track. Uh, new press box in the uh -huh. spring of 1980. They moved the, they got new lights. Uh, the lights used to be in front of the bleachers. Um, like oh. Between the field and the bleachers. Yeah. And then it, the lights that they put up in 1980 they were positioned behind the yeah. bleachers. More traditional now, right. basically, yeah. Right, And so, and then also in September of 1980, they renamed the stadium for, for in, in memory of Frank Steele, or uh -huh. in honor of Frank Steele. He right. was still alive at that time. Uh -huh. uh, Frank Steele being the great football coach and also he had been athletic director at Mishawaka, um, but he was football coach mm -hmm. in the 1920s. Mm -hmm. And we had mentioned before that when the stadium was built, the concrete bleachers were built, it was still just called Mishawaka High School Field, mm -hmm. School Field. Uh, but in 1941, mm -hmm. the name was changed 
to Tupperfield. And William Tupper had been a longtime school board member okay. uh, in Mishawaka. And he died a few years later in 1945. Mm. It was named for him while he was still alive. Mm -hmm. And so from 1941 to 1980, it was Tupper Field. Uh -huh. And so the great Marion teams play there. Mishawaka had some very good teams as well in the 1970s that played at Tupper Field. Mm -hmm. So that changed to Steel Stadium. Mm -hmm. Also occurred in 1980. Okay. And they were doing a number of these in improvements to right. the stadium that it seemed like a good occasion yeah. to name it for Steel Stadium to right. rename the facility. The Tupper name is, was gone yep. in 1980. And, uh, you know, there was some controversy about that. Um, unfortunately, Mr. Tupper, um, he didn't have any descendants living yeah. in the area in 1980. And his last name, unfortunately, was the same as a line of plastic cookware <laughs> so whereas steel stadium oh yeah yeah steel sounds yeah. good and then there's this alliterative quality of steel stadium uh -huh. frank steel was still alive many of his former yeah. players were still alive in 1980 and so the tupper name was retired yeah. and steel stadium uh, took its place in addition to all of those changes over the years the stadium and surrounding areas have had more recent changes we talk about that next. But there have been other changes to that stadium, you know, in the last, particularly the last well, like, 10 years. Yeah, just like 2016 or 17 or something. Major, uh, yeah. A new all-weather track uh -huh. because the 1980 track had disintegrated right. uh, and was unusable. Yep. So the track is is great. Right. Uh, new lights yep. uh, that they've installed. Uh, oh, the, uh, the big scoreboard. Yes. <laughs> yeah. uh, they would That's not nice. have believed that scoreboard no. in 1939. <laughs> uh, so no. huge video scoreboard. Um, you know, the, the only one really that I see in the area uh, of, yeah. of that size. I haven't so seen one. that comes about also, I want to say, before the 2018 season. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the bleachers have been painted a couple times um, yeah. over the years. Uh, and yep. I know they've been working on uh, renovating the press box okay. this year. Uh -huh. uh, so that'll be a, a new change for right. uh, the coming season. But yeah. um, and then there's an alumni plaza that they yeah, constructed, right there. and then then they enlarged that a few years later. So I mean, the facility just looks great. Oh, it's and, nice, and it's a wonderful place to yeah. uh, spend a couple hours on a Friday night. Pete mentioned all of the more recent changes to the stadium, but I can tell you that it still has that old feel. Matter of fact. Once I started diving into this episode, I thought that it would be real cool to actually head to Steel Stadium and record there. But then I wanted to take it even a step further and interview the current head football coach at Mishawaka High School at the stadium. I felt that our listeners could truly get a sense of Steel Stadium's tradition by talking to the head coach about what Steel Stadium and Mishawaka football means to him, his players, and the entire school community. So on next week's episode, I meet with Mishawaka High School head football coach Keith Kinder. We had a great time doing the interview in his office, right in the bowels of historic Steel Stadium. Next, Pete and I talk about one of the reasons it is so historic, the neighborhood feel. And we mentioned it butting up along a street, like any folk, anybody who drives around the neighborhood and that is also why to me it's so cool because <laughs> right. the, it's just i cannot go buy a home in granger in a subdivision and have that type of atmosphere that type of environment right. um even when there's not a football game just to me it's neat to walk past to drive past and see a stadium right there you again know? the parallel to wrigley field yeah, absolutely uh, right in the neighborhood a, a neighborhood stadium yes Yes. And you have to think about the, the folks along Gernhart. I realize most of those homes were built after those bleachers were built. Were they? Uh, okay. I, I believe so. Uh -huh. At least some of them were, I know. Yeah. They're around that same time period. I mean, your view looking out to That's it. some, uh, you know, from, you know, uh, directly across from the bleachers, your view is this white brick yeah. wall. <laughs> and you know that that's the way it's going to be like forever. Well, it, People are choosing to live there, yes, so they can't complain. Right. Yeah, now, you know? now it's a choice. Yeah, right? it's like moving across from a high school and complaining that there's kids there. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. You know, it is. Uh, 
it, it, living here so close to school field, we can hear the games on oh, Friday isn't that nights. Great? It's so cool. I love it. Yeah. And same as over there. I mean, the whole neighborhood can can hear the games. Right. Um, I have a, uh, well, my brother lives on Studebaker Street. Okay. Just north of the avenue. So his street goes, if you keep going south, it goes right into uh, sure. the area there. And to go over to his place on like a Friday night, I mean, there's the whole neighborhood people are walking yeah. around. You right. know, it's kind of like here over a school field with the Adams band walking and people everywhere. And it's just cool. It's neat. And I, I grew up a mile east of Mishawaka High School. Okay. And we could hear um, the loudspeaker when the wind was blowing right. Uh huh. We could hear the loudspeaker yep. from Steel Stadium. A whole mile. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's just cool, yeah. man. I, I really like that. Imagine being one of the people who helped build the stadium. The pride and connection that you must feel to your community has to be just amazing. We talk about that next. Talk to me about what pride some of those workers had to have felt, not only in the moment, but even, I mean, there are probably some young men working on it in the late 30s sure. who, who could have lived on into 1970, 80, 90. You know, just talk yeah. to me about in general about what kind of pride you think they felt. Well, I'm sure they must have felt great pride and satisfaction. Uh-huh. And then you can imagine some of those workers, their children yes. uh, end up playing on that stadium, on, the, on that. that field. They, Absolutely. And as fans, you know, they're, they're sitting in that stadium mm-hmm. watching their... Uh, their boys play on on that field or going to track meets there yes and so you'd like to think that they would have had some sense of the legacy yeah. that they had helped to create uh-huh. uh, even decades later absolutely and, and that stadium there still is a real strong sense of pride mm-hmm. in it and if if you were one of those guys who was working on oh. building that stadium um you would have to think about that anytime you saw the that absolutely. stadium that I, I helped make this agreed and it's and Mishawaka is a is a one high school town, and so when the community comes out for their high school, man, they come out for their high school, and it's mm-hmm. supportive. It's not like they're from a city that has fifteen high schools, and hey, I built this one little stadium here. I mean, it is the it is it. And you had mentioned in the book too, anybody who has any relationship to Mishawaka High School, you guarantee you they have had some sort of right. experience in that stadium. And think also about all of the you know visiting fans. True. You know, that's They too have been connected to yeah. it. Even if you're only went to one Mishawaka, uh-huh. one game at Mishawaka High School, yep. let's say when you were following uh, your child's team. Yeah. Um, you know, people have come into that stadium from all sorts of opponents mm-hmm. um, here in Indiana. But yeah. I know we've had some Illinois teams that have come and played mm-hmm. us uh, in that in that facility, and so there have been a lot of lives that have connected yeah. to that facility. I read a quote from Pete's book next that just sums everything up. At the end of the chapter, you wrote, and and, and the whole time when I'm reading the chapter, I'm thinking this: like your quote <laughs> at the end, it really kind of sums it all up. Um, and and so I'm just going to read the quote, and then if you can just give me your comments on it. Considering the cost, use, and longevity of these stands, few structures in the city's history can compare with such a return on taxpayer investment. Sums it up. Yeah, and I, I think, um, I think a lot of people, when you when you reflect on the long history of those stands, uh, whatever money was spent on them, the fact that they are still there. Yeah. In good shape, mm-hmm. serving the same purpose that they were made for mm-hmm. in 1939. Um, you know, that's yeah. that's a very impressive statement about the quality of the work that they did. Yep. And also, if you think about it, the vision of the school board leadership yes, uh, and the, the school corporation leadership, uh, they didn't go for some halfway yes. little, little stadium. I mean, they went They big. went after it. They went big. And- what they decided as adequate in 1939 was done in, in such a way that they were mindful of the future. Yeah. What are we going to need for the next 20 or 30 uh-huh. or more years? And the same was true with when they, you know, they built Mishawaka High School. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had outgrown one building and, and built a new one in 1910. They mm-hmm. outgrew that in 19, by 1924, <laughs> had to build an entirely new building. And maybe they learned from that experience. Good point. Let's build facilities that are going to be used for generations. And that's a good way of thinking about any kind of public building today, whether it's 
um, you know, a school facility or, or some other kind of public right. building for a city government. Uh, let's just not do something that we, will get us by for 10 or 20 years, yeah. but let's build something that maybe 50 years mm -hmm. or more mm -hmm. uh, will still be around, yep. still be usable, uh, still be cost effective because mm -hmm. anything you build is going to require maintenance, mm -hmm. um, but something that can continue to, to be a benefit and not a drain on the community. Thank you for listening to another episode of Round the Bend Now and Then. A special thank you to Pete DeKeever for sharing your knowledge about Mishawaka's history and specifically Steel Stadium's history. Again, folks, check out the Mishawaka Historical Museum. And while you're at it, also check out his book, The Hidden History of Mishawaka. I have the websites in the show notes. Folks, do me a favor. Leave a review on whatever podcast app that you listen to us on. Also, follow us on all of the socials. Twitter, Round the Bend Pod. Facebook, Round the Bend Now and Then. If you want to reach out and email, roundthebend574 at gmail.com. As always, join us again next time as we learn more about South Bend and Mishawaka's Now and Then. <laughs>